1: them.
2: Hello my friend and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. If this is not your first time listening, thank you so much for coming back. If this is your first time giving it a go, welcome. This is a podcast which aims to catch you up on the week if you are simply too busy to pay attention. I respect that um but if you also kind of want to know what's going on then that's the idea behind this we'll catch you up in the news we'll catch you up on pop culture and celebs and we'll talk to someone who's got something interesting going on that you might want to hear about and I am very excited for you to hear the chat with today's guest um firstly before we move on I want to say a massive thank you to all of you who signed up to the Patreon over the course of the last week um I really appreciate it. As I said last week, it is a difficult time to work in the kind of work that relies on commercial sponsorship and commercial um, kind of brand deals, for want of a better phrase, uh, when you are trying to take a stand uh, when it comes to Politics and the uh, literal genocide, and um, so when you join the Patreon, it takes the pressure off me a little bit, and I really, really appreciate it. So, if you've ever thought about joining the Patreon, now would be a good time. There's a new episode up this week in which myself and jenna Dwyer of the Creep Dive discuss American Nightmare, the three part Netflix series. Truly, like if you haven't seen it, I just recommend it. In general, it is absolutely fascinating and kind of mind-blowing i i don't want to give too much away because i went in knowing nothing and it was brilliant and then you can have a listen to myself and jen chatting about it um but yeah if you sign up to the patreon you'll get uh, a bonus episode every second week um one of them is a mailbag episode where i respond to your messages which i really enjoy um and then there's a culture episode too which is also great but um i just particularly enjoy hearing from you i hope you had a good week My week was pretty good. I got to do the QA after two screenings of Your Fat Friend in the IFI last week. I've talked about this movie before. It is a documentary about Aubrey Gordon, who has been a guest on this podcast before. And if you listen regularly, You'll have heard me recommend Maintenance Phase a good few times, which is a brilliant podcast which debunks wellness bullshit, basically, that she does with another guy, Michael Hobbs. Um, Aubrey is so loved, and it was just such a beautiful opportunity to be involved in those screenings and to uh, have dinner with her and Jeannie Finlay, who made the film, and uh, Aubrey's brilliant mom, Pam. Um, so that felt, felt very, very lucky. And as I speak, I am in a hotel room, in Cork, preparing for well, I should be preparing for my show in the Everyman tonight. But we've had a load of technical issues today, which means that I'm actually still recording this for you. But I am happy to do so. Uh, but yeah, I have a my live show in the Everyman tonight, which I um, how am I feeling? Feeling good about? As I said, I think I said last week, did I? Or maybe it was on the Patreon that like I get a bit anxious ahead of these shows, just with all the logistics. But at this point, what's done is done and uh, hopefully we'll all just have a ball usually that's what happens usually I get super stressed and then it ends up being brilliant and everybody has a great time so fingers crossed that's what, what will happen tonight anywho let's get on with it there's loads to talk about um I know I've said a few times on here um that I acknowledge that the episodes have gotten really long you know we were around an hour when I started the podcast almost two years ago and it is now almost always an hour and a half which I think is a lot um so I'm going to be making a little change. I'll tell you all the news on that next week, um, but for now this is another bumper session because there's just so much news. But there's actually some really interesting stuff in the news this week, so definitely stick around. It's for uh, all of what Carl Kinsela has to say. Carl Kinsela, how are you? How is Amsterdam?
3: Uh it's nice. Good. Um, I'm I'm having a nice old time.
2: Any how good grades, Carl? Any nerding out this week?
3: Oh, no real nerdy. I'm actually like behind on my thesis. proposal. I know, which is really funny as well, because this is kind of the tricky thing about being older and being back in college is because I think you become a bit more laissez faire about certain things, Mm -hmm. like even admitting that I'm behind on the thesis proposal. Like, what if my what if my supervisor were to listen to this? You know? Oh, I'm sure they're a regular listener. It'd be so scandalized. They'd be like, oh, here he is on a podcast bragging about being behind on his (laughs) thesis proposal. I really I, I really do need to do it.
4: <laughs> well,
2: I believe in you, Carl. I believe that you can do it's... it. And um I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Um No,
3: me neither. But again, this is this could be the issue of just being older and being but I I just think you become less worried. Like I was talking to this girl in my class and she was like, Oh, you seem to be a lot less worried than everybody else. And I was like, I think that is just because I've lived more. I've seen more stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, you do learn that, like at the end of the day, it gets done. And like, yeah,
3: you you gain a lot of perspective, you, I think.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent, you get there. And um, well, we actually, I think. I think we're going to have a little bit of fun in the news section this week, which I am very happy about. Um, We do have to obviously start with some serious stuff, but we'll get into some less serious stuff as the chat goes on. We will start, of course, in Gaza, where we have started for the last three months, um, unfortunately. Um, And I suppose let's start in Ireland, because there was a a kind of motion debated just yesterday um, as we speak. So on Wednesday um, in the Dáil.
3: Yeah, so last week, just to give people a bit of a refresher, um, we would have been talking about the uh, the ICJ case and uh, South Africa's application to... Uh, oh yeah,
2: of course. Um, Jeez, that all happened since.
3: Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, it's important to sort of remember that w- what the ICJ have said with reference to that case, their, their ruling uh, last week was that... Um, that these actions in in Gaza are, you know, plausibly genocidal; that they fall under the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice. They're going to hear South Africa's case in full. Israel had obviously motioned for the case to be dismissed. It's not going to be dismissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also called on Israel to uh, to make sure that no genocidal actions were taking place. They did what people were unhappy with was they didn't call for a sort of a cessation of hostilities. They didn't call for an immediate ceasefire. But that really I mean, there's co- you know, there's different ways for for legal people to analyze this, but that really wouldn't be the purview of the ICJ. You know, they don't they don't call off wars in their entirety. They just they step in when war crimes are being committed, mm. um, and they, they obviously they called for for uh, insurance that no war crimes are being committed uh, ahead of the case being heard in full. But why this is relevant to Ireland is because as we talked about last week, Ireland uh, we had a doll vote last week uh, about whether or not we would intervene on behalf of South Africa and that was defeated. And the government said that they would, they would strongly consider it if the ICJ made findings similar to what the, what they did find. Uh, so people were kind of anticipating, Oh, maybe now the Irish government is going to step in and intervene, but we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's it's the kind of thing we were talking about like the Irish government their their language in the bill they passed last week was that or the motion they passed last week was that Ireland would strongly consider intervening Mm. Uh, and I think we, we had a bit of a laugh on the podcast about what that actually means. Mm. Um, and that's that's kind of that was added to this week because you know Sinn Fein brought forward a motion where they said that uh or the motion was to to commence the process of preparing for participation in the case, right. which is you know, intervening on behalf of South Africa. But this motion was again defeated. So there's still no forward momentum, there's no progress in us intervening on behalf of South Africa here. Mm. Um immediately after the ICJ's findings, Michal Martin uh, issued a statement where he said that he was going to have uh, you know, legal advice urgently prepared for him as to the next steps that Ireland would take in terms of intervening. But for the time being, um, we are still not intervening. Mm. Um, this, this motion was defeated. Um, mm. There were amendments made uh, by the government to delete the part of the motion that said that we would um, intervene on behalf of South Africa. So, you know if you're going to be cynical about it or if you're going to be kind of ungenerous about it where we are with the Irish government now is that it's still a lot of, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of, it's a lot of condemnation, Mm. uh, but no actual action, um, Mm. no taking part in the ICJ uh, application just yet. Mm. Um, and I mean really who knows? I mean, it it doesn't really feel like, it doesn't feel like something the government wants to do at all. Mm. Um, if this was something that they were kind of enthusiastic about, if this was something that they believed in, I think we would feel more forward momentum. We would, we would be hearing different language from the government and, and Michal Martin mm. uh, as foreign affairs minister. Um, but I think that the, what he's trying to justify is, uh, is that, you know, they're, they're being pragmatic about it. They're, they're taking the steps that, you know, they're taking slow steps um, to get involved. and And that's where we are right now.
2: Okay, um, another thing that's been happening this week is the, um, this is very confusing, I think, for people. Uh, the UN or WA, which is the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, um, it is the agency that helps Palestinian refugees. And there has been a whole kerfuffle about this over the course of the last week. And I think it's been very confusing for people. So let's try and get down to brass tacks about what is happening there.
3: Yeah, this would be confusing for people, especially because, I mean, I think in the last couple of months, UN or WA, it, that would be an organization that a lot of people would have donated to, yeah. you know, if, and you might even know they've donated to them, but, you know, like, because I think people have donated, but they might necessarily be fully aware of what they're donating to, but yeah. UN or WA would be one of the most popular uh, recipients of, of aid. Um, so the issue here is that there's an Israeli intelligence dossier, so that kind of comes with all the usual caveats that you would have for Israeli intelligence, that it could be biased, it could be, yeah. you know, it could be subterfuge, it could be any of those things. But, but it, it found that 12 workers for UN or WA, uh, it, it alleged that the 12 workers were involved in the October 7th attacks. Mm. Um, this was something that the UN or WA, they said they responded to right away. They said that they fired the relevant people, um, that some of them were already dead. Um, one of them can't be identified, so you know this kind of, this is kind of almost a typical Gaza story where it's it's very hard to to suss out all the exact details. Mm. But as a result of this dossier, the claims that a, a small number of UN or W A uh, workers were involved in the at- attacks, a lot of countries have cancelled their funding, suspend suspended their funding for the UN or W A. The funding is is really the only way that this organization can do anything Um, and the point of the
2: organization is to support the people who actually are suffering as a result of this conflict on the palestinian side
3: yeah like as we said this is a united nations organization so so one of the
2: only ways that people are actually getting some help these countries are suspending their support of it is the is the black um, and white of it right
3: yeah, precisely, and you know those countries. You know, if we want to get into the like. It's it's the United States, um, the United Kingdom have both done it, uh, and then some individual European countries. And, and and from the Irish perspective, I suppose what matters is that the EU has also suspended funding uh, until the end of February, um, and this is something that is that has brought about a lot of backlash in Ireland until and even, the end of um, February.
2: Like that's a whole month. That's wild. Yeah, or-
3: yeah, and I think they're going to reconsider it now at the end of February. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, who knows what will actually happen then, as far as um, how how the EU choose to go about it. Mm-hmm. But Ireland has kind of uh, has pushed back. Um, Michal Martin tweeted saying that he had he had full conf- full confidence in the decision of UNRWA to uh, suspend the staff who are suspected of participating in the attacks mm. and that Ireland is not going to suspend its own individual funding for UNRWA mm. um so i think i think Ireland were one of just two countries mm. uh, in the EU to sort of push back against uh, this this latest turn where UNRWA is, is losing funding and you know like UNRWA i think it's 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 important to give people an idea of what the scope of the organisation is like mm. i think they have They have several thousand workers. I think there'll be 13,000 workers. Wow. Um, And the the strange thing is that in these missions, that the UN has in different countries, including the UN or WA is that people can be quite loosely affiliated to them. Mm. You know, you could have someone who is, who's is working for them full time, who comes from the United nations or is a diplomat from a different country, but you can also have loosely locally affiliated people. For example, um, you know, Motaz mm. uh, is, is involved with UN or WA sort of just as a, you know, he uses different terms to refer to him. He calls himself a journalist. He also calls himself a creator. Mm. Um, but like that's kind of indicative of of how you could be involved with UN or W A. Mm. You could just be some camera on the ground providing information. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of hard. And as we say, like thousands and thousands of employees in a part of the world where there's not a great deal of sort of coverage or yeah. or um, you know, like kind of being able to know what's going on. Mm. Um, so yeah, it is kind of a this is a tough one to know mm. exactly how it'll how it'll end because but it is it's a, it's a startling move it's it's a kind of a shocking move for such huge countries to break with the UN mm. in such a massive way and to sort of repudiate them mm. and it's it's interesting i saw someone make the point that it, like we're we're talking about 12 employees max or the allegation is 12 employees of a staff of 13000 uh, i saw someone on twitter making the point that you know if that same standard were applied to really any organization or any uh, police force or any army, and you were cutting off funding on the basis of that level of misbehavior, you know, percentage-wise, there wouldn't be a single organization of that nature left. Mm. Um, so it, I think in, in many ways, this was seen as, the cutting of funding was seen as almost a response to the ICJ's verdict. Mm. Um, and that it was going to sort of, uh, to sort of just um, re, sort of redress the balance. So yeah. if you have this idea that Israel are, are doing things with genocidal intent well, you know let's remember that the you know or it's sort of like casting aspersions onto the the palestinian side of things so that's that's uh that's okay. the current situation um, in the
2: and then quickly before we move on uh, from what's happening uh, in that part of the world let's talk about what went on in the west bank this week it sounds like things are just getting worse and worse and worse in the west bank and there was a particularly notable incident in a west bank hospital
3: yeah, this is bizarre in, in a hospital in Janine in the West Bank. And of course, just to remind listeners, the West Bank is separate to Gaza. They are separated by a, a large swathe of land. They're not next to each other. Um, so this is not where the bombing is taking place. But there are still uh, atrocities taking place because this week, this is it was footage of, of three or so, uh, it was a team of Israeli agents. Uh, who carried out three extrajudicial killings. They killed three people in a hospital in Janine. While they were dressed as, they dressed as hospital workers, they dressed as uh, observing Muslims. You know, they had uh, sort of head coverings and things on. They had lab coats. And the CCTV footage is just horrifying. What it actually reminded me of was the Regency shooting in, in 2016 when you had the, the you know, a gangland murder in Ireland where you had mm. people dressed as uh, Gardaí and mm. dress as women and it's just it's the subterfuge of it and it's its the bare naked dishonesty of it I think that mm. disturbs people because we have these accusations of, you know Israel uses a lot of subterfuge and uses a lot of sort of misdirection to achieve mm. its goals which I mean that is the nature of intelligence operations yeah. you know a lot of major countries do that but I mean this is yeah, it's it is just it's broad daylight extrajudicial killing mm. um done in a way that's clearly meant to deceive anyone who's looking at it. Mm. Um and I think that really just disturbs people and it, it 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 sort of vindicates these people who if you have no trust in what Israel says, it sort of vindicates that that line of thinking, I think, because it's just so it's so nakedly dishonest.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we'll be back uh, with Israel and Gaza and the West Bank next week. Um, but let's move on to another conversation that happened in the Dáil this week, uh, which is around a bill to legalise personable personal, excuse me, cannabis use. We've talked about this kind of thing on the podcast many times. Um, the use of drugs and the way that drugs are legislated for in Ireland. Um, what's what's happening here? Is this a real possibility?
3: um it's certainly a possibility but again i suppose you'd look at it and say the government don't seem very enthusiastic about it the mm. bill was introduced by people who were people before profit td gino kenny mm. and it passed yeah. the first stage unopposed back in november um and I think people often you might hear like passed unopposed and think, oh, that means everybody's very gung-ho about it. Yeah. But um, you know, as has happened, uh in yesterday, it was this was kicked down like this the can was kicked down the road. Mm. So there there's not going to be a vote on this. Uh, you know, there's no scheduled vote on this right now. Um you know, it was just a motion that was introduced and it was was passed down the line. But what what the bill would do is it would make it legal for someone to possess up to seven grams of of cannabis, which I'm not like a a super expert, but but to me, that would be like a joint and a half. Mm. Uh, So that's, you know, it's it's a pretty low level of cannabis use. I think it would be hugely welcome, you know, like because I mean, ultimately seven grams of cannabis. It's sort of, you know, if you were to be legally cautioned for that, it would sort of be like It was sort of, it's sort of like being arrested for having two pints, you know?
2: Totally. Um, It's, it's, I mean, I'll be, I'm just going to give an opinion here uh, because I'm allowed to, it's my podcast. It's fucking nuts. Like, it's absolutely insane. Like, it's it's, it's insane that people would be legally penalized for having the teeniest, tiniest bit of cannabis. Like, we're talking about such a tiny amount. And yet this is somehow out, like, absolutely outlandish and ridiculous. And I know that there were comparisons made in the debate where um, you had people like, Danny Healy Ray uh, talking about cannabis being a gateway drug, and then it being pointed out by other, you know, TDs that you know he owns a pub, and like if you actually measure up the damage done by alcohol versus something like cannabis. And I'm not a big cannabis smoker. I don't even know the words. (laughs)
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm not am yeah, yeah. not
2: a big cannabis girly but like anyone can see that like you know there's certainly not dramatically more harm done I don't think by by cannabis use than there is by alcohol if you look at the statistics in terms of violence and stuff like that there's not like I'm not an expert on cannabis but like it just seems crazy that when we have whole sections of America where it's legalized now we have countries across Europe and around the world who have legalized cannabis completely How's that we down, well hello exactly case yeah. in point Um that you know to to be having this conversation at this length and not being able to make any movement on it feels crazy to me. And I know... Like, you know, Adon Reardon, who is a Labour TD. Is he a TD or a senator? TD, it has to He's be a TD, a TD, right? Yeah, because he was in the debate yesterday. Sorry, um, I get confused. But he is, I have to say, his work around drugs is is really admirable. Um, You know, he was a minister at one stage and really did a lot of work to try and change the conversation around drugs, try and move to a more health-focused approach. Um, and he was talking during the debate yesterday, and he said if the number of cows died... If cow, basically if cows died of overdoses in the same number as human beings in Ireland and now this is not about cannabis but about drugs in general that there would be a national uproar and you know he's right that like we just the care for people who actually live with the dire consequences of serious drug addiction are not cared for properly in this country and then we're having this massive debate over the tiniest amount of cannabis it's just like come on do you care about people or do you
4: not
3: yeah, it's, it's really, it's it's honestly very hard to understand. Like, you know, the idea that there would be really any, you know, you don't want to make sweeping statements, but like what negative consequences could really come about from legalizing? So, like, you know, all we would do is we would free up time for Gardaí. E yeah. Who spent like, any, because any guard who has ever had to engage with someone or like file paperwork on someone having seven grams or what, is it seven? Yeah, like seven grams yeah like it's just it's it is just crazy although i will i need to go back i think to to restate i was thinking like 0.7 grams Mm -hmm. for a joint now so seven grams would actually be a fair few joints a fair few joints
2: okay but even still like if we were to let's just say we just legalized cannabis in the way that they have in 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 Amsterdam in other European countries in you know large swathes of the United States like what happens as a result of that several things happen I mean first of all yeah potentially more people take uh, use cannabis right and but what what seems to have happened socially at least from what I can see is that people use it in kind of much safer quantities because they buy from actual proper sellers and you know there's different ways to use it so you know you have you have gummies say that are like you know have the you know you know how much you're getting you know what type you're going for there's regulation so it has to be of certain quality it's not going to be mixed in with anything else like you know in from a health perspective it makes sense um And also, you can make tax money off of that. So if they even legalized cannabis, and then we had an industry, a safe and regulated cannabis industry, they could take all of the tax money that they get from that, plow it into addiction services for the drugs that are genuinely ruining people's lives. And and then we would all be better. And look, am I saying that there has never been a person who started smoking cannabis and then ended up being a heroin addict? No, because that does happen. But that's... From what I have read and researched, and this is one of my areas of interest, like that is largely a kind of social and um, often trauma based thing rather than it being the fault of the cannabis. Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know very clearly what side of the, what
5: side of this debate yeah. I'm on. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was actually nervous. I was nervous coming into this segment that I would be too opinionated. But then, you know, <laughs> and I was like, I'll, I'll just let Louise. I'll let Louise do this one. Yeah, yeah,
2: sorry, it just drives me mad. I mean, like, I grew up with addiction around me. Um, I I just feel it's so easy to not take these things seriously and to like make a debate about cannabis use suddenly you know to kind of use it as as an opportunity to to make bold wild claims um and to you know get all head up about it when the reality is you don't actually care about people who really experience addiction because if you did you would fund recovery programs you would fund mental health services you would fund all of the things that would actually contribute to making a change to addiction and yet you get yourself all wrapped up in thinking that you know you're doing the right thing and you're helping people who actually will eventually experience drug addiction by keeping small amounts of cannabis illegal it just drives me crazy like if you care you would do something about it and you're not so you don't care so don't take this as your political kind of moment drives me absolutely bananas so yes a very unbiased news this morning um okay <laughs> let's move on to Ryanair bulk buying housing
3: yeah this I really like this story um not not that I like Ryanair bulk buying housing but I think this is a really interesting story because I feel like it's a microcosm of a lot of different th- things in Ireland right mm. now because Michael O'Leary he, so Basically, what's happened is there was a housing estate of, I think it was 25 homes and swords, and Ryanair bought them in order to give them to their staff members, you know, mm. out kind of near the airport. Rent them. And yeah, yeah, yes. To rent them out to the, yeah, the, not just to gift them no, to the. which would be, I mean, yeah, lovely. Yeah. That, would be, that would be a very different <laughs> story. It would uh, be like giving free houses to people. Mm. Um but yeah, so Ryanair bought these houses kind of, and the way it was framed is as is, 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 is if they bought the houses out from under the noses of kind of unsuspecting, you know, innocent first time buyers. You know, people want to buy a house, but instead you learn that Ryanair has bought it. And, and this kind of, you know, this is uh, the kind of thing that people face, I think, with vulture funds as well. And like, yeah. you know, you want to buy a house, but in actual fact, every house on the block has been bought by, you know. Some conglomerate with hundreds of millions of Europe. Yeah. Um. And Ryanair uh, CEO Michael is he still a CEO? He, the people these days call him Ryanair boss. He's not actually the CEO anymore, but he's he's still kind of the head honcho at Ryanair. He's still uh, the Michael person o- we hear from. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're all still very familiar with Michael O'Leary. Yeah. And he was very, very Michael O'Leary-ish about it. He was on uh, RT. He's on Clare Byrne uh, mm-hmm. on RT, and he said that he would like to apologize to nobody um because he said you know the first job was to look after passengers second job was to look after the staff he said if anybody else wants to whinge about it they can buy one of the other thirty-two thousand five hundred fifty-five houses that were built last year and it's crazy right because there's 50 i agree with the first thing he says and i don't agree with the second thing he says yeah because i don't think ryan Eyre or michael o'leary are to blame for any of this no you know if you have a situation where your staff can't get housing Mm -hmm. um i think it's it's actually almost an interesting move as a company to intervene and to buy up the housing yeah but all that was is shine a spotlight on the housing crisis this is how few houses we have this is how hard it is to get a house you need Ryanair to step in and buy houses for their staff near the airport just so society can function basically like just so we can have working airlines just so these things all come together uh where I disagree with him is you know when he comes in and he says they can buy one of the other many houses that were built last year because the fact of the matter is that if there were so many yeah There was so many houses built last year. I'm not saying that the numbers are wrong. But if if we had this amazing supply of Mm -hmm. houses... Of course, we wouldn't need Ryanair to be buying houses for its staff. You know, Ryanair has never had to do that before. No, I mean, look,
4: like,
2: it's obviously not great that we are in a situation where this is something that companies feel like they need to do, that we're gone back to, like, the 1870s when Guinness were building houses for their employees to Mm. rent because, you know, there was nowhere else to go in Dublin. That's not great. Like, it's not great. Nobody would argue that it is. But at the same time, you can understand why a business would be motivated to do that. Like, you know, for example, I I know that lots of people relate to this, um, my kids uh, went to one crash. My my youngest son is still in the crash, um, and he's in his last year there. And um, his teacher has been there for the whole time that we've been in the crash, and she was very important in Sam's life, and she's very important in Ted's life. And she just found out she has to move, and where the crash is is in a, quite an affluent area of Dublin. And the staff, when I when we first started there, five, six, seven years ago, um. I couldn't get over how little turnover there was of staff. It's quite unusual in childcare. The staff really stayed consistently. And then it all changed. And it changed because they couldn't get anywhere to live that was even even relatively close. And even this teacher who's so important to us and, um, you know, who's been there for years is like, if I can't find somewhere to live, I will have no choice but to leave and get another job. So these are real situations, obviously, that businesses are in. It's, you know, very challenging, aside from the fact that it's very challenging for the individuals themselves. Um, but, you know, you can see where Ryanair are coming from. But yeah, Michael O'Leary, classically being um incredibly sensitive to
3: people's situations. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing how he's able to take a situation where I fundamentally agree with him and still just be like, you yeah. know, be so obnoxious about it that I'm like, oh,
2: oh that's who he is. Animal. He can't help it. He can't help it. Okay, yeah. in our final story today, let's go to Australia. This story is
3: wild. This is this is crazy. So, Australian television network uh, Nine News. They were, you know, they were having a politician on, you know, a guest on, as as television stations often do, and they used a promo picture of the politician uh, Georgie Purcell from the, uh, I think, the Animal Rights Party or is it the Animal Justice Party. Yeah. Um, and they. I don't know if they photoshopped their So the photo, right, is of the MP. But the issue is that they've taken her clothes and they've made them. More scant. Sca- you know, made her okay, more scantily so class. You're
2: going to have a harder time talking about this than I will, so I'll describe it. They've, yeah. Carl's trying to be respectful. I will, I'm still being respectful, but it's easier for me as a woman. So in the original photograph, she's wearing a white dress. And in the, the photograph that they used on the, for the TV thing, they have turned the dress into a crop top and skirt. So there is a very slim band of midriff showing, but there is midriff showing. But they have also enlarged her breasts. <laughs> like it's, insane
3: crazy and so their excuse was that they and their excuse is so convoluted like their excuse was that they found this edited image online didn't realize that it was edited and then not only did they take an edited image but they also then had to resize it to fit their like graphics uh model which really none of that that just doesn't sound particularly plausible it also just doesn't even sound like who would who would randomly edit an image of like an mp just to like show more like you know a band of midriff and upload it online like the whole thing sounds so implausible it just for me you know where my mind would go is like learning that someone and this so this uh mp Georgie Purcell like she's got tattoos all over her arm she's a young woman yeah um she's gorgeous she's with the- yeah, she's with the Animal Justice Party. So, like, she's the kind of person who I think is almost—you know—these are the kind of figures who often do get belittled in politics. Yeah, you know, they do often patronized get, you know, and
2: disrespected,
3: patronized, additionally yeah. sexualized, all these things. Mm. So, you know, that's why you'd be hesitant to 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 accept this extremely convoluted excuse because these people do get you know belittled all the time.
2: Yeah, it's crazy. Because the other thing that um the network said was that it that. Photoshop kind of automatically, the automation automatically um kind of altered the image. And so Adobe said, any <laughs> said, yeah. no, no, sorry, you're not gonna yeah. blame this on us. Any changes to this image would have required human intervention and approval. Um and I thought that this is the very point that you were making just there um was made by Georgie Purcell, the MP. She said, I imagine if AI spat out a picture of Jacinta Allen, who's the former uh, state premier of Victoria, in in a crop top, they would have noticed, but they don't with me and that's it um you know if it was your the person that you picture when you picture a female politician they would have noticed it but because it's her you know it's kind of they were played fast and loose is what she's suggesting um it's not it's not that's immediately
3: where where my mind goes yeah i think it's when someone is more towards the fringes and particularly the left-wing fringes and then doubly so if they're a young woman Mm. you know who like has tattoos or you know anything like that, they are just such a target for, for and it is, I love that Adobe got involved. I, yeah, I think that's, how... <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I just think that's, like I'm so surprised because I mean obviously Australia is a big country but I'm still surprised it came across Adobe's radar because yeah. they're such a big it's really funny to me that uh, that they had to weigh in and just be like nah you guys you guys did this yeah we, we not
2: are this. not taking this one. <laughs> yeah yeah no no, sir okay well that's our lot today Carl thank you so much Carl Kinsler. Uh, you can read Carl's weekly column it's really excellent on the journal.ie it's called "Surrealing in the Years it kind of sums up the week um, and it is it is truly brilliant so I do recommend you read it and then of course the people can find you on Online. Carl, where can they find you?
3: Yeah, you can get me at TV's Carl Kinsella on Twitter, and you can get me at Carl dot on Instagram. Carl with a C. Yeah, I feel like I've actually never—I've never actually specified that before, oh. which feels like. Thanks. Oh, here
2: we go. Oh, it's all changing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks, Carl. Kate Mann is a writer and professor of philosophy at Cornell University. She is the author of Down Girl, Entitled and Unshrinking, How to Face Fat Phobia, which was recently published and is what we'll focus on today. This book brings together hard facts about anti-fat bias and its prevalence in fat people's lives, from diet culture to outright discrimination, as well as her own experience of it. And I have to say, I really, really loved it. I was so delighted to chat to Kate Mann, and I hope you enjoy. So, Kate, um, I'm someone who has thought about this stuff. I have thought about fat phobia. I've thought about fat bodies. I've thought about fat liberation, body positivity, all of the catchphrases around our bodies extensively. I've written about it um, and talked about it and all of that stuff. But before we get into the book, I think it's important to acknowledge that for a lot of people, a huge number of people, The idea of not hating your body is still kind of a radical concept, isn't it?
4: Yeah, completely. And I'm really sympathetic to people in that camp. I have nothing but compassion for people on that journey, especially since it really took me a very long time for the political piece of that activism to really hit at a personal level. Mm. So, yeah, I'm just sending good vibes to anyone who is on what can be really a lifelong journey towards accepting our bodies as they are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly that is my experience. Um, that there's no real finish line because we live in a society, as we'll discuss, which tells us all the time that we are a problem. So it's very difficult to get to a point where you are completely resistant to that,
4: I think, if if it's possible at all. I certainly haven't gotten there. Um Yeah, and certainly loving yourself won't change the material harms that people who live in larger bodies or I also disease use the word fat in a very neutral way mm. um, but people who are in larger bodies who are who are fat are facing material harms that certainly any amount of self-love won't dissipate unfortunately.
2: So in your book, I mean, you identify some of these these challenges that we face as fat people simply as a result of having a larger body, not necessarily because of having any kind of health problem, but just literally uh, symptomatic of having a bigger body. What are some of those like hardline discriminations that fat people face that, as you say, you can't love your way out of?
4: Yeah, totally. So I think it begins very early in life. Um, one of the findings that was not surprising to me as a kid who'd been chubby, but uh, which certainly was good to see um, very sophisticated empirical research on, is childhood bullying. Mm. So we see that weight is probably the most common basis for childhood bullying, which is really sad. And in education, fat children also face explicit discrimination from their teachers who label them less talented, less able, less gifted academically, and also as less competent in physical education, so PE and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, And we see this in ways that um, it's very clear weight discrimination is going on because children will be rated as less gifted academically as they gain weight, Mm. so with unchanging test scores on standardized testing. Um, Then across the lifespan, We see that this also kicks in at the level of um, employment, that there is vast amounts of discrimination against people in larger bodies when it comes to finding and retaining work. Um, One particularly revealing study of this compared a fat woman, a thin woman, a fat man, and a thin man for a range of employment opportunities, everything from university lecturer to salesperson to manual labourer to administrator. And the thin man was found to be the most competent employee for every uh, job opportunity. And the fat woman was found to be the least promising candidate, again, for each and every job opportunity. But the punchline is that their CVs were just being rotated amongst the participants. People had the exact same information about these people on average, but they held that the fat woman was just not a promising employee. Mm -hmm. And this has vast implications for wage gaps too. So, in the United States, among millennial women, very fat women earn about $40,000 less annually on average than very thin women. Wow! So it's a huge wage gap. Mm. And of course, one of the most um, depressing areas in which we see fat phobia play out is in the healthcare system. Mm. So there are study after study showing that doctors and nurses harbor not just implicit, but also explicit biases against fat patients, holding that they're weak-willed, lazy, non-compliant. Um, doctors will even say on surveys that a fat patient is more likely to seem like a waste of their time, that they're more likely to be annoyed by fat patients and that they have less desire to help fat patients. Mm. So this is um, pretty gnarly stuff that really shows fat people are facing across their lives both throughout their lifespan and also in just so many different areas of life we're facing barriers that simply shouldn't exist
2: yeah I mean the medical one is interesting because I think that if you are fat and you're listening you know that because you've experienced it I mean yeah. anecdotally as I've talked about these matters in my Instagram DMs I hear story after story I've had the experiences myself like I I know so many people who simply don't go to the doctor because it's too anxiety inducing they don't feel like they're going to be listened to but of course you know there are very real ho- health consequences of being afraid to go to the doctor
4: and um- absolutely and for women especially there is studies just bearing that out that show that as a woman gets heavier and in proportion to her body mass she will avoid medical care mm. and then we wonder why fat people especially people who are very fat are having sometimes correlations with certain health problems well, part of the picture is that we're not getting adequate preventative and um, responsive care when we do have health problems. Mm. One thing I
2: find mind blowing is the fact that we know based on medical research and based on other kind of scientific research that losing weight long term, losing substantial weight long term is almost impossible and that yeah. diets don't work and yet it is still the thing that is so frequently advised by medical professionals um, who don't seem to be reading their own industry's research. Like there's such a, a disconnect there. What is that about?
4: Yeah, there's this insistence that people could should just keep trying and keep going on this perpetual treadmill of trying to diet and exercise our way into thinness. And you're absolutely right. The scientific evidence on this is so definitive. So really study after study, but also meta-analyses that canvas every long-term diet study to date by people like Janet Tomoyama and Tracy Mann have shown that people regain the weight that they lose on diets over a four to five year period, almost inexorably, you know, it's something like 95 to 98% of diets will fail. And also between one third and two thirds of people will end up heavier than they started. Mm. So the best um, meta-analyses of these issues suggest that dieting is actually a really good predictor of future weight gain Mm. rather than predicting that people will end up lighter. We actually tend to end up heavier in the long run. Mm. And there are probably metabolic reasons for that. So there was a study of, you know, that really exploitative American reality TV show, The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. Um, It was run in Australia too, actually, where I'm from. Um, But they did a a study of these people's metabolisms five years after they lost all this weight. And people's metabolisms were 30% slower on average five years after they had had that drastic weight loss. Mm. So one of the reasons people regain weight is that our metabolisms may really slow and also the body tends to guard against what it perceives as the assault of fat loss. Mm. So yeah, for a lot of us, This is not just a um, futile exercise, it also does independent harm. Mm. So something else that we see is that as people lose and regain weight repeatedly, which is known in the literature as weight cycling, they end up with independent health harms like cardiovascular problems, like metabolic problems, including probably increasing the risk for type 2 diabetes, immune dysfunction, and also mental health harms. Mm. So not only is dieting not helping people lose weight in the long term. It also looks like it may be doing health damage.
2: Yeah. I remember, So I went to Weight Watchers for the first time when I was 16. Um, and then I weight cycled for the next 15 years I'd say. And I remember yeah. when I started to learn about the actual research. The moment that I realized that if I had never started dieting at all that I would probably be substantially thinner and just feeling I mean first of all like it blew my mind but secondly just feeling so angry that I had been sold this lie and and it is a lie that we are consistently sold this idea of the before and after the idea of the thin person inside us just dying to get out and like getting to the point where you accept are, have to accept because the the literal evidence tells you that there's no other way yeah. that you are almost certainly going to always be, you know, in a fat body if you're in a fat body long term. Like that is almost certainly the way that you're going to be forever is, is yeah. such a hard thing to swallow when you've been fed this lie
4: your whole life. Totally. It's incredibly hard. And this is where in many ways I started out my mm. most recent journey towards accepting my own body and living with it with a kind of peace, because it just seemed to me so clear that I am the rule, not the exception. I've had very much the same experience of having been on so many diets, every possible diet that you can name, including some very bizarre ones. And yes, you can lose a little bit of weight or sometimes a significant amount of weight in the short term, Mm. but the weight just comes back. Mm. And that is most people's experience. And yet, I would go so far as to say we're gaslit into feeling like we're obligated to keep trying to do this to our bodies when it really doesn't agree with our bodies or serve us Mm. or help us live the happy, healthy lives that we know people can live at really any body size and type. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think there is also a kind of liberating potential ultimately in realizing this. It is very, very hard but to stop doing something that feels doomed to failure and is in fact almost inevitably going to fail there can be a lot of liberating potential there too i think
2: yeah i think you're right and i think but i think that that kind of gaslighting element is something that we have to really confront face face on head on uh, what's the expression whatever the expression is i think that's what we yeah. need to do because it is i mean i i always think that every time i've lost weight you know, people have given me compliments, like endless compliments, how great I look, even when I lost weight because I had cancer that I, I couldn't wow. like I got so, so many sorry. compliments. Oh no, I'm totally fine. But it, it was, you know, people could, were falling over themselves, telling okay. me how great I looked. And I can still remember those people and those moments like crystal clear. I don't have a great memory, but those moments are burned into my brain because then as I gained the weight back and, you know, when it, with the concert was because i was getting healthier um you hear those voices and then every time that you meet that person you can kind of see or you feel whether it's there or not you feel like you've failed them um, and that you you know you just need to try harder and you almost feel like you need to explain yourself it's this vicious cycle that like even when people think that they're being complimentary what they're doing is potentially damaging down the line so even the people who love you who are like trying to do their best can sometimes be harming you so it's, it's the odds are so stacked against you when it comes to feeling good
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I know it's often well-meaning, but those comments on other people's bodies, I really think need to be reconsidered. I mean, it's a way of saying, I'm noticing your body, I'm surveilling your body. I will be potentially disappointed if you regain weight. And it's really important to recognize that we should not be making assumptions one way or the other about someone's health status based on their appearance. Mm. So for many people, and I'm so sorry you had that experience, it is a sign of ill health, sometimes really serious health problems that they're losing weight. Mm. And it can also be a sign that someone is grieving, that someone is going through a terrible, stressful time. Many people report losing weight because they're going through a terrible divorce, for example. Mm. And I should say I'm someone who believes divorce can be wonderful, but (laughs) it also is a stressful thing that for many people is a cause of really dramatic weight loss that shouldn't be celebrated. They might be someone who needs support and commiseration at that point. Mm. Similarly, when I was in the throes of really disordered eating, bordering on an eating disorder, just not eating for days on end, I was complimented in those same ways, including by my own doctor who said, Oh, you've lost 20 pounds in a month. That's wonderful. Instead of what it actually is, which is alarming. Mm. And I nearly fainted at that appointment because I was so lightheaded from lack of food. And again, it, he didn't pick up on there being any worrisome signs because, as someone in a larger body, weight loss is just. Praised and celebrated and seen as a sign of good health, even when it's paradigmatically unhealthy behavior, like simply starvation, that, mm. that is getting you there.
2: Mm. Um I've I've read your your writing about the fact that fat phobia is not on the wane in the way that some other discriminatory attitudes are. So for example, discrimination based on race, um sexuality, uh, age, disability, like all of those things seem to be headed downwards, which is obviously a brilliant thing, but fat phobia is the one that we just can't seem to beat. Why do you think that is?
4: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I should say I think this research shouldn't be construed as saying that fat phobia is the last acceptable prejudice because, of course, they didn't study every form of bias. And unfortunately, there is always many acceptable forms of prejudice in our very bigoted society. But yeah, it's really striking that fat phobia was the only implicit form of bias that was actually on the rise. Mm. And it was the form of explicit bias that was decreasing the most slowly My guess as to why that is, is partly that we've seen huge amounts of panic, some of it quite inflated about the so-called obesity epidemic and the health costs of fatness, which I argue in the book are actually pretty complicated. It's a pretty complicated picture. So some of that, I think, is about this general moral health panic about fatness. And some of it is related to that point you made earlier, Louise, that I thought was so brilliant, where we as fat people often are taught and told to regard ourselves as having a thin person within waiting to emerge victorious after the next round of Weight Watchers or the next diet and so we don't really want to identify as fat people. We don't really necessarily want to stand in political solidarity with our other larger body people. Yeah. and so instead of fighting the prejudice, we kind of keep fighting our own bodies mm. and in fact sometimes participate and collude in the oppression we're facing.
2: yeah, that's so true. That is so true. Like sometimes the call really is coming from inside the house and even I see it I see it on like, in comments on social media where people will post an outfit or whatever and then you see people in the comments saying as a fat person myself or as a bigger woman myself I would never wear that because it's unflattering and it's blah 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 and you're kind of like oh guys like how are we ever gonna win if we are hating each other
4: (laughs) just as much as other people are hating us yeah, it's it's really interesting that I think a lot of people internalize elements of the policing and punishment that was done to them, mm. and in te- instead of turning against it and saying, "Look, we need a different world for all bodies—a world that is accessible, a world that is compassionate, a world where anyone, regardless of their size or health status, can get adequate medical care." Mm. Instead of that, we really try to work on ourselves at the expense of doing what we should and staging resistance to the oppression facing us. And Mm. yeah, some of the worst policing done in terms of women's bodies is done by other women. Some of those women being fat themselves and who are like, either don't get like me, I'm a worst case scenario, or don't be fatter than me, that's the kind of nightmare specter. Mm. And it really is cruel, it is toxic... And it's a real failure of that political solidarity that we should be showing towards everyone, including and maybe especially those who are larger than us and face worse barriers to mm. justice.
2: Um. So, look, I mean, the picture is relatively bleak that we've just described. Like yeah. We are we are up against a lot. However, you know, it is possible to feel better. Um, and I totally um, one of the things that you write about, which I, I which really kind of rang true with me and um, it, it reminded me of a phrase that I kind of latched onto when I started to try and, and change my relationship with my body and what my phrase was, my body is not for show whoa yeah and I couldn't stop thinking about that I was just like and it was because I I had cancer I had and I had this sudden appreciation for the work that my body did for me and I had up to that point I had never really thought about it I'd kind of taken it for granted and then just realizing that you know my body is is not for show it's not to put clothes on like it's to to keep me able to have a life. Like that is its purpose. And your phrase is my body is for me, which I really love. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
4: Yeah, definitely. I love yours too. It's really interesting. We both converged on a similar thought. Mm. Um, So I was influenced by body positivity, but I found it really hard to instantiate. I found the idea of being relentlessly positive, frankly, about anything a bit tough, Mm. but especially about a subject as fraught as my own body. Mm. So body positivity, I don't begrudge anyone. I think it's a useful starting point if it works for someone fantastic. But for me, it was a bit oppressive. Um, And body neutrality, I mean, it's okay. But the idea of being just purely neutral about our bodies is also a bit uninspiring in a way, a bit insipid, a bit wan. And I began to think in this space, why do we need to be positive or negative or neutral about our bodies and thus have an almost implicit number in mind, an implicit ranking? My idea was we should really be throwing out that scale and that quantitative idea altogether in a more radical way. So for me, a more transformative idea was my body is for me, your body is for you, and our own perspective on our body is the only one that matters for every person and indeed every non-human animal. Mm. And so that idea I call body reflexivity. And it's this idea that our body isn't there for comparison or consumption or correction. It's really just there to serve the person who inhabits it. It's denizen um, and so I wanted to offer that to the reader as a potentially more liberating thought because I find when I'm looking in the mirror and I'm feeling the inevitable dribs and drabs of dissatisfaction that have been visited on me by society, when I think my body is for me, it kind of grounds me and those self-criticisms fall away.
2: Mm, I love that. And I think, you know, that it's it's an idea. It's a, like a simple concept that everyone can kind of connect to. Um Because I think it is so challenging and it's all well and good to kind of put things in black and white and kind of say well obviously it shouldn't matter what anybody else thinks of your body and it shouldn't matter even you know it shouldn't matter that you can't buy clothes in a shop and you know that shouldn't impact your feelings about yourself and you know the science is this and the science is that when you know the reality is we are all symptoms of our environment and the our environment is still a very challenging place to have any kind of body really to be honest but it is definitely a particularly hard place for people to have fat bodies is there anything else that you would like people to take away today in terms of just trying to find a way to be even at peace with themselves on any level.
4: Yeah, one thought that does help me or one feeling that helps me in this space is to get angry at the world rather than mad at myself. Mm. And so I reflect that the diet and weight loss and fitness industries combined will be worth like $400 billion annually globally by the year 2030. I mean, it's just such a multi-billion dollar way of profiteering off people's not only insecurities, but ways of comparing themselves with their past selves, with their imagined future selves and with each other. Yeah, And so we're being set up in these really pointless, really pernicious competitions and hierarchies that are ultimately sustained by capitalist profit. Mm. And so when I get mad at that and feel like, oh, I'm being made to feel these things, that my body is inadequate, that there's something inherently bad about having just a body that happens to be on the bigger side, which is such an arbitrary thing. Like, who cares that there's more flesh on someone's bones? Like, it really doesn't matter. Um, And, you know, as I show in the book and as I can... um, point readers to the chapter if they're interested this idea that there's a simple relationship between health and weight is just not true it's very complicated and very individual Mm. so yeah i would um say to listeners that what helps me is remembering that i am being gaslit into feeling negative things about my own body and made to spend time and money and Mm. energy and creativity that frankly would just be best saved for other things Mm. um and that a measure of body peace is not easy, but it is possible in a world that makes us shrink ourselves for capitalist profit.
2: Well, thank you so much. That is Kate Mann, author of Unshrinking, How to Face Fat Phobia. Um, Thank you, I so appreciate it. I appreciate the book, I appreciate your work, and I
4: really appreciate your time today. Oh, I loved being on. Thanks so much for having me, Louise. It was a pleasure.
2: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems.
0: back.
2: Now it is time to talk celebrities this week I am joined by Jen Gannon and unfortunately we were cursed by technology uh, so had to attempt recording a couple of times and I ended up doing it by zoom from this hotel room that I'm in currently in Cork and um, so the internet wasn't great the sound is slightly rough um, but I hope you'll bear with us because we had to talk about Megan and Nikki the Stallion we had to talk about Taylor and the NFL we had so much to talk about should we forgive Justin Timberlake all these things so enjoy. Jen Gannon, what a pleasure it is to have you back on the podcast, my friend. How are you?
5: Delighted to be back having the chats.
2: Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about this week as well. I texted you earlier this week because I got so many messages from people going, what the hell is going on with Nicki Minaj and Megan Thee Stallion? Um, And it Mm -hmm. is a complex and tangled web made more complex by Nicki Minaj's behavior. Um, So I feel like we should probably just get into it from the get-go and get down to brass talks. What is going on?
5: The girls are fighting. Remember that Azealia Banks uh, video, like the YouTube, or is it like the Instagram live that she did when the last time Nicki Minaj was like, properly in Gossip Central with her major beef with Cardi B and Cardi B threw a shoe at her, at the New York Fashion Awards, I think in 2018. So this is like bringing me back to, I was like, where's Azealia? When is she going to jump in on this? Cause she loves to jump in on everything. She sure does.
2: She sure very does.
5: problematic queen. Um, but this this draft is so much. It, it's just unfolded so quickly and so rapidly. It felt like it just became this boiling point. And I, I guess, I mean, She's Mrs. Petty for a reason. Like, Mm. that moniker has never suited somebody so well. But, like, I think we can trace this back to Cardi B, maybe, because I think the rumblings of this particular beef have gone back to, obviously, Nicki and Cardi have their own stitch. And then when Cardi and Megan Thee Stallion teamed up to do WAP, and WAP was massive, like, Mm. such a hit, I don't know if Nicki was too pleased with that. And then... You know she has her own radio show queen um on apple and she kind of inferred a a while after what that you know megan was drinking too much and that megan was encouraging nikki to drink during her pregnancy and all this kind of weird stuff so megan denied all of that obviously Mm. and then things got a lot more serious in march of last year when Nicki released uh, Red Ruby De Sleeze And I, I, it was like this very pointed takedown of Megan, with lyrics uh, like that seem to have like references to horses, but also like a reference to, well, it seemed to be a reference to when um, Megan, you know, was shot like at Tony Lanes, her ex, you know, um, he shot her in the 40, in 2020 and- Did you say Tony Lanes? Life... Tony Lanes, did I- what Is it not Tory Lanes? Lane. Sorry,
2: <laughs> no, I just really enjoy the idea of you know Tony Lanes. Tony you Lanes. know him. He's yes, down no there. World. He's in Ringsend.
5: <laughs> I mean, he actually does. But um, <laughs> just to say that he is actually serving a, a prison sentence, like for this. So I mean, it's like this. It was extremely, you know, complicated. It's a horrible case like that. You know, brought up a lot of things about obviously violence against women mm. and the kind of world that they're living in. And I think Megan just wasn't going to take this line down and not from Nikki. And she released her own single hiss last Friday. Mm. And that is where the latest beef is coming from. Um, and it's really escalated because everybody thinks that there's lines in hiss, which is like number one, I think on iTunes at the mm-hmm. moment and in the billboards hop 100, I think. Um she, people are saying the lyrics are definitely pointed at Nikki because it's a reference to Megan's law and that is the ref- like the US federal law that is about registered sex offenders and we know from past history with Nikki that not only is her husband Kenneth Petty he's a registered sex offender mm. um after pleading guilty to attempted rape uh when he uh, back in 1994 and then you know Nicki Minaj's brother Jelani he's in a- Prison for like sexual assault against a child. And Nikki infamously wrote a letter to the judge in a bid for leniency in her brother's case. So, I mean, she's really renowned for standing by these men who people would probably not want to associate with. And obviously, this set everything alight. And mere hours after the release of Hiss, like Nikki was on social media previewing her song Bigfoot, which can I just say, has the absolute worst AI art I think I've ever seen for <laughs> a single. I know it was a hurried release, but then was it? Because Nicky came out and said, oh, I've had this song for six years. It's nothing really to do with Megan. I don't believe that. Where it has like this pink boot stuck into a big foot imprint. It's it's absolutely disgusting. Please go and look at how horrible mm-hmm. it is and how far we've strayed from artwork. Um, but yeah, basically she was just poking fun um, at her getting shot in the foot yet again and being a a, a lady of stature Um, and it just feels very ugly really to be honest because she's talking about her dead mother as well yeah it's so gross and like 2019
2: yeah it's so gross and like Megan has chosen to be vulnerable like I'm team Megan on this okay Megan has chosen to be vulnerable over the years regarding the death of her mother regarding the fact that she was shot like this is she was shot that's terrible. That's a terrible thing that happened to her. She was shot by a man who she had had a relationship with. Like it is terrible. And the fact that time and time again this is brought up against her as if it's somehow her fault, or like she deserves abuse as a result of it, is wild to me. And like the thing about Megan and all of this is that Megan, you know, look, the Megan's law reference in his is vague enough. Like you could argue that that has nothing to do with Nicki Minaj. And Nicki has come back with this song, which is very pointed. She has named Megan in tweets and on on Instagram. And, you know, she has blatantly spoken about Megan, whereas Megan has never used the the words Nicki Minaj. Megan has never spoken about her specifically. So like the thing about this is Nicki comes out, if you're a reasonable person, I think Nicki is the one who comes out of this looking... Crazy, for want of a better word, um. But she's she. It doesn't seem to affect her because the people who love her, like her Barb's, love her no matter what. They kind of love the crazy. You take the crazy with the goodness. Like it seems to be kind of acceptable. But it's just such a shame that two women are are up against each other like this when there's just no need.
5: Yeah, and I think with Nikki, like she pushes the Barb's. Like it's like she's a Barb herself, you know. In that Mm. way, like like she kind of eggs them on to be more audacious and, you know, there are doxing people online that disagree with them and are fans of Megan. It's really strange. Now, I do have to say, like, Nikki has been amazing and hilarious over the years and she's always so quick and and so funny. And, yeah. like, you can forget, you know, what's good, Miley, at the MTV Awards. Like, So many great moment moments. Time. Yeah. And But I do think post, like, in lockdown, I know like, we all went a bit crazy in lockdown, but she seemed to steer down that path of conspiracy theories like I know COVID gave us her what was it her cousin's friends big balls (laughs) oh yeah got affected by COVID like that was an amazing tweet but I think apart from the hilarity of that in all seriousness she kind of started on this anti-vax group then she's kind of made friends like she's had dealings with that conservative commentator Ben Shapiro And like, that's outside of her vocal defense of like these men who seem to be on the wrong side of the law. Um, I just think, I don't know what's going on with her at the moment. Like for somebody who calls herself a queen and repeatedly, and it was forever reminding little Kim who came before her that she was coming up behind her and that, Mm. you know, she was going to be successful. And no matter what, it's felt, it feels like she's very insecure. Mm. She's insecure. About her status um, in hip hop, her status mm. in that world, and that she feels threatened by Megan and Cardi B. And I think that is what's coming across here. And, it, and as I said, petty by name, petty by, by nature, it's really yeah. underlining that for me. And I feel it like you're right, it's all a bit grim. I think there's not enough women in hip hop anyway. And I do like a good diss track. I love, you know, I, I'm a Madonna fan. So, of course, I love I, It's not like I don't want. I, I don't want women to be holding hands all the time and thinking everybody's great. I like people being a good bitch when they find each other annoying. I think it's great. But at the same time, I think that this is sad and that yeah. I would rather them kind of poke fun at the men. Yeah. And like, that's more necessary than going after each other in this very underhanded, very low status way which i find miserable and very grim
2: no i totally agree okay let's talk about taylor swift because um she she is i mean this football tangent that she's on at the moment thanks to her relationship with travis kelsey i have to say has brought me a lot of joy and travis kelsey her football playing boyfriend is in the super bowl which is like the biggest football game in the world ever
5: Mm. and that i don't know i'm very weird about this to be honest with you because uh, just this beefy ham hock came out of nowhere um plays for whatever the cincinnati ninjas or whoever i don't care (laughs) who cares but like i feel like that it they've had like it's had a taylor bump like i feel like that team whatever they're called have had this taylor bump where like her success has given them further success or like brought them notoriety from around the world. It's like they have eyes on them that I they would never have had before. And it feels like this, you know, disney version of, I don't know, pop stardom where like she's the prom queen and she's, you know, dating the quarterback. And it, it feels like one of her old songs. Like, it does. And I just, I have this weird feeling about that relationship, in, but that's, My thoughts, I have many thoughts. That's for for another day. But the thing is, all these football-lover men are complaining about women, you know, taking an interest in American football now and saying that Taylor Swift is ruining it for them because they don't like seeing her at the games. Oh, my God, you know, heaven forbid that they zoom in on a woman. I mean, I think Taylor needs to talk to Victoria Beckham. She needs to get on the phone to EZB because (laughs) if anybody knows about like, disgusting, redundant sexism in sports or around sporting events, yeah, it's her. absolutely. And, like, I just, I think it's weird that they, they have this conspiracy theory now. There's always conspiracy theories around Taylor in that way because she is such a megastar, but I think right now, like, the, the Satsuma of hate himself, Donald Trump, Trump has obviously gotten involved. He's apparently privately... Moaning about the fact that he people think that Taylor Swift is more popular than him because he's very worried that she's going to come out and endorse Biden. I mean, I think, I think he should be worried about the money that he pay, has to pay Eugene Carroll, yeah, first of all, yes, and then I think, well, it does show how terrified he is of the power of Taylor Swift, like, mm. and the power that she has over the Swifties and because conservative flying monkeys are now gathering saying that they are going to the a holy war on taylor and the swifties and i think you know i'd like to see them try because i think i don't know about you i'm pretty scared of the swifties i think we're on a par with any paramilitary operation i've ever seen anytime mm-hmm. i've had dealings with them my god they're they're on another level. I have to say and though, I, just,
2: I feel like that with any group of stands. Like I feel like that with the Barb's. I feel like that with the Little Monsters. I feel like that with like the Navy, Rihanna's Navy. Like I feel like that with every like they. It's the stand standum is too intense in my opinion.
5: It is too intense. Are the Navy retired though? Have have they been stood down? Because there's no album coming ever. Where is she? Like the Navy are on <sighs> yeah, hiatus.
2: For, the Navy are uh, over. Germany. Yeah, you're right. But I
5: do think that, you know, Taylor does have significant power because the fact that, like, last September she urged her fans on Instagram, she said, please, please, please register to vote at, like, vote.org, that organization. They said there was, after the Instagram, there was, like, I think about 35,000 new registrations, which is impossible. Like, that is profoundly powerful. And I think, you know, this coupled with like the world of the NFL and the world of the NFL is not the most right on of no. places. And I think Travis Kelsey himself, the ham Hawk in question, he has been promoting, you know, Pfizer and like with the COVID vaccine and he was supportive of Light, um, which has been a huge target of outrage um, because of Dylan Mulvaney's mm. adverts, you know, and I think that's just adding fuel to the fire. And I think this is, completely gone out of control and i think i don't know what's going to happen what the next step is and i would love for taylor to come out and endorse Biden. i mean i'd love to taylor to do a lot of things that she hasn't done but mm. like it's not all on her but then you do see that significant power that she does have. Oh,
2: she's so powerful. And you're right. Like, I mean, teaming up with Travis Kelsey, who's like the biggest name in American football, or certainly one of them. um, And if they're both this kind of progressive power couple, cheerleader, quarterback kind of vibe, I don't think that's what position Travis Kelsey plays. But you know what I mean? Like the hottest boy and girl in school, if they're coming out and saying you vote this way, it is going to have an impact on an election. Of course it is. Of course it is. Donald Trump is right to be scared. Um, Not that Biden is perfect, by the way, but like you know we are not exactly rich with options
5: we're never going to see donald trump sitting driving around in absolute silence in his Rolls voice listening to blank space like no. that time that video that melania put up online mm. that's never going to happen again now no. i don't know who he's going to listen to now but it's not going to be tay tay your days are over
2: Certainly not. Now, let's talk about Kylie Jenner. Um, Paris Couture Week happened last week, and um, there was some great stuff that came out of that. But one of the things that I particularly enjoyed was seeing Kylie Jenner at the shows. She was front row at loads of shows. What I found fascinating is she has her glam team with her at all times. Did you see the photographs of her team like touching her up as she's sitting there Mm. at the show? I was like, would you not be mortified?
5: Oh, you want want to... (laughs) Daily life i'm not joking i want them to follow me on the lewis get on the bus with me <laughs> please brush my hair like a little munchie that's oh. what i need and is the upkeep that is expected you know and i think that's the thing it's like a cycle it's cycle because the discourse mm. around this woman's face yeah like there was this slow-mo video that they had of her at the Jean-Paul Gaultier show and it was going around social media And people were talking about these unusual creases on her face. And they said a lot of people on TikTok, now, whether or not they're professionals or not, were commentating, saying that, you know, it's filler that's moving around her face. And then there was this whole other tranche of people coming in saying, oh, well, you know, she looks way older than 26. And look... I know that perceived wisdom says we have to hate on the Kardashian and Jenner clan because well that's not uh, my perceived wisdom
2: but
1: yes I agree
5: but in general Mm. it's mine either it's not mine either and like people are enjoying that they're in this flop era and you know slagging off the amount of surgery they've had they're laughing at Chloe's you know caved in nose apparently and you know I was saying good enough for them or whatever but I do think with this whole Kylie situation is a lot it's, it's a lot deeper there's something deeper at play here um and I think yeah I know that they're cause of their own downfall in that way mm-hmm. but I understand that if I was being seen in HD on HD TV every day mm-hmm. um I like I have been on TV and I hate being on TV I genuinely feel so uncomfortable because I always feel like Liz Lemon in that Deal Breakers episode of 30 Rock where you're not seeing your flaws and then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, they're magnified. And I just like, you feel like something that I feel, like something that has just wandered out of like a toxic waste dump and it's not enjoyable. So if I had every, like, as you said, a glam squad at my beck and call, but if I had the best surgeons in the world to bland my face out, to be like a living doll, I would have done that. And I understand Mm. Highly doing that because she's had a camera in her face since she was 12 years old. And you can see that she's, it's completely distorted the view she has of herself. And that's what we're seeing now. Mm. And yes, I get she made the choice to live in the public eye. But at that age of 12, she really didn't have that much of a say. Yeah, I don't I think, think she
2: really fine. did make a choice to live in the public eye. I think yeah. her family made a choice to live in the public eye. And then she became a part, like a symptomatic of that nearly, or like a, a, a consequence of that. Like, you know, I have a lot that's of sympathy for her. she is a
5: kind of, not a victim, but she is a byproduct of... Yes, byproduct. sorry. Kim's that's the word I was looking for. ...desire to be famous. And yeah. then when you see Kim herself struggling with her self-image, can you imagine Kylie having all these insecurities on her forever so no wonder she was getting surgery at the age of 18 or the age of 19 and I know they're saying well I feel that sometimes like Kim created this Frankenstein's monster with Kylie which is very mm. depressing to think about mm. but then I also think that you know it's a strange message to be sending out to very young girls if you are slagging off the way Kylie Jenner looks right now and yeah. um, because like they're the main market for TikTok like very very young girls and then we're seeing adults up in arms about like children using skincare well you know
2: maybe we could Maybe we could just, and this is a wild suggestion, I know out of left field, but what if we just stopped slagging people off for what they look like? Like just like across the board, like it's ridiculous. It's like this—it's like a snake eating itself at this point and you're criticized everywhere you go along the circle. Like whether you're Kylie and you're 15 being chased down the street by paparazzi being told you're ugly, then you go and get your work done and everybody thinks you're gorgeous, but then you're slagged off for having the work done and then you have too much work done and then you're, oh, you're looking very old. Actually, you're looking older than you should look and oh but you're too young really like I mean she can't win because there's still an entire industry based around making women feel like shit about themselves and part of that is slagging them off for what they look like um, and uh, yeah I have nothing but compassion for her actually am I jealous of her money but, yes but like still <laughs> you can still be compa- have compassion for the fact that she has lived under a very vicious microscope for her entire adult life and a lot of her childhood
5: listen She's with my Timmy. I have issues there. I'm happy for her in a way. Yeah. So, I mean, she's not losing completely. But I do feel, yeah, that it is something that's eating itself, like mm. the beauty industry in that way. And, like, the pressure on women to feel a certain way or look a certain way under the patriarchy. And it's like I, I am tired of everyone trying to make money off my insecurities. Mm. And Like, for myself, I, I just... To be honest i just want to be let me be ugly and peace people please just <laughs> let me live my life like i feel like you know that is just me as a normal person so i cannot imagine how it feels to be her living 24 yeah. 7 no it's, and it, i don't get it like i don't get it it's so, crazy you it
2: be alone um, let's have a quick touch base on Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake is coming back. He's giving his career a reboot. Um, but lots of people were resisting that because obviously everybody's team Britney after reading her book and Justin did not come across well in that book. And um, however, Britney has spoken
5: out. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because I think like there's been a lot of press. And I know you were talking with Amber about this last week, but there has been a lot of, you know, oh revisionist history about like, hey, we always thought Justin was a douche. No, we didn't. Yeah. Like, I went to see this man three times live and I loved it. And I liked Same. a lot of his music back in the day. And like, you know, with the right light and the right tip of his fedora, I did think he was attractive. And I hate this. Like, guys, we all like Justin back in the day. Okay? I loved And him. it's okay to say that. Like, yeah. I know we've grown and now we've all read or listened to Brittany's book. And I think that has been this source of a lot of the the new feelings of hatred yeah. towards Justin. Because if you read it or listened to it, you know, there's that whole point where, you know, she was having an abortion at home and he pulled out the guitar apparently and started singing to her. And like anybody saying that Barbie isn't based on something in reality about what men do mm. sometimes that is the truest thing. I think, my God, Greta Gearward, thank you so much for articulating that on screen. Mm. But like, you know, I think Britney has come out to say on her Instagram because her own song selfish went back into the charts because his song was called selfish. And then the Britney fans were like, Oh, I'm going to, we're going to push Britney's own song back into the charts rather than his. Mm. And it's, very much like oh he's on the he's yesterday's man he's bombing so we don't know if it Brittany felt these feelings herself or she was maybe pushed in a way to say these things but she did take to her Instagram and say that she wanted to apologize for the things that she wrote about him in the book and you know that she thought his, his song was great she really loved it and yeah that she thought hey it's all good with Justin and I think I don't think she should ever have to apologise for what she said in the book because I think that's her truth and we all wanted to hear her perspective and we really enjoyed it and she was able to unleash those home truths that needed, they were so necessary Mm. Um, and I think if anybody, if you haven't listened like if you've read it and haven't listened to it please download the audiobook for Michelle Williams just doing the delivery so gone girl and you (laughs) feel like oh wow is she going to kill everyone at the end like she should (laughs) please yeah make it legal for her to do so just one of them yeah like i do think justin is in a really hard situation i don't think music is the root for him right now i think he should go back to acting because Mm. let's not forget he was amazing in the social network Mm. he is quite a good actor and i think if he got the right role now i think we're more forgiven if Mm. he was acting If he got a really good role, we could forget about him as Justin Timberlake, Mm -hmm. the man who wronged Britney. And maybe he could start again Mm -hmm. with something different. I know he is a mega douche. Nobody's saying he's not. Uh, But I don't I don't think all is forgiven and I don't think we should forgive him. No. And Britney is asking us to.
2: Exactly. And I also think you like I don't forget or forgive or whatever, but like I think context is important. And Justin was a symptom of the time that he lived in as much as everybody else's or a product of the time that he lived in as much as everybody else's and nothing that he did in that book to me came across as wildly different from what a lot of men at that time at his age at his level of of you know kind of success and fame would have done um so you know I think it is important to consider that I think Britney has deleted that post um, I was okay. just going through her Instagram there and it doesn't seem to be there. I could be wrong there, but I think that's interesting. She went back
5: on private, I think, again, so I don't know. Oh. So we don't really know, like with Britney, as usual, we We've don't no really idea. know where these yeah. <laughs> are coming from. They're We've... coming from the universe in yeah. some way through Britney as a vessel. But yeah. we have to just, I think it's nice, though, in a way, because it, I think it shows a lot of grace anyway. Like you're mm-hmm. saying, maybe she said time to think about, like, look, we were immature. We were just kids back then. Yeah, Nobody can behave as well as they should in, some, in certain situations. I'm not completely forgiving him because I find him irritating yeah. at, at best now yeah. as a grown adult, but I just think, yeah, maybe lay off him a bit because, I mean, look, there's worse There's worse things to be concerned about and worse people out there, and if Brittany is saying they're cool, maybe we should just accept yeah. that and yeah. be honest.
2: I think that's fair. Um, okay, Jen, we have run out of time, but just a final just acknowledgement of the fact that CMAT and Jazzy, two great Irish women, have been nominated for Brits in the Brit Awards. Um, CMAT oh. is just, I mean, they are both actually just absolutely skyrocketing at the moment. It's amazing to see them getting international recognition. Um, And it's deserved, I think. And how exciting to yeah. see uh, CMAT the in the same category again, as Kylie Minogue
5: <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god CMAT is going to be living my dream I can't I, I'm gonna like when that selfie drops after inevitably after the Brits I, or video or whatever or TikTok I will be absolutely delighted for her, but also I'll be like sick with envy because mm-hmm. I, I mean I would die I would actually die actually it's probably better would never meet Kylie because <laughs> I would burst into tears <laughs> and she would have to be removed I would have to of course will be removed from her but I, yeah i'm so delighted for both of them and i think yeah i mean we're doing it all over the place like in that way like if mm. looking at oscars and all of that crack mm. and then on the music side of things we've got our girlies doing it and i think it's amazing and i think more power to them and, and more of this
2: absolutely well jen gannon thank you so much where can people find you jen
5: i am everywhere i'm on ugh, i'm low to say x whatever that thing is that Elon Musk is doing. I'm there, sadly. I don't know. When will I leave? I'll probably leave when Richard Lawson leaves. That's my, my baseline, the mm. Vanity Fair writer. When he's gone, I'm gone. Um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram under Jack Gavin, which is just basically a carousel of hot men uh, in my Instagram stories.
2: I very much enjoy your and, Instagram, just saying.
5: Well, it's either hot men or me trying to, like, put my breakdown, contextualize my breakdown through photos of Lindsay Long. <laughs> So, I mean, what's what's not to
2: like? (laughs) Thank you so much, Jen. now it is just about time for me to go but before I do let me give you a couple of recommendations and to be honest the ones that I have this week you've already heard about American Nightmare definitely recommend it three-part docuseries on Netflix as I said there's a Patreon episode over on the Patreon about it it is three 40-minute episodes so it's not a huge undertaking it's not one of those true crime ones where you're like They've stretched it out. It's really good storytelling by two female filmmakers, one of whom is Irish. And I don't want to tell you kind of any more than that because I don't want to ruin it for you, but I would highly recommend. Um, And then if you haven't read Kate Mann's book, I really would recommend it, particularly if you're someone who hasn't really considered fat phobia or hasn't examined their relationship with their body um, or anti-fat bias or any of that stuff ever. Um, It's a really good way to kind of open your eyes, I think. Um, And you might find it very useful. I hope, my friend, that you have a good week. But if you don't have a good week, that's okay too. All we can do is put one foot in front of the other and we will be back again next week. Thank you so much to ACAST and all my wonderful contributors. I'll talk to you then.